I'm glad you're all so friendly. That's awesome. But stop. No. <laughs> hey, great to have you. I'm Len. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to get to share with you this morning. Uh, today we're continuing in our series called Bouncing Back, and we're doing this series to remind us that even though the past couple of years have been really difficult, even tragic for many, uh, there is a path forward. Why? Because God's people bounce. We bounce back. And so let's start with a few truths about bouncing back. The first is, is that you can't bounce back with a setback, right? That's the very nature of it. So we've got to accept those. And then secondly, every setback is a setup for bouncing back. So we're trying to get a positive perspective on all this, right? Third, a setback is intended not to punish me. And hear that one because we often say, God, why are you punishing me? But instead, it is to prepare us for our next stage of responsibility. And then lastly, setbacks are stepping stones to our future. Great perspective shift and reminder and principles. I hope that you will continually remind yourself of these because they're so important to know. So with that said, where does fear fit into all of this? Well, the fact is, is that all of us have fear at times, right? And uh, fear can actually be a really good thing. So it's reasonable to have fear and act on that fear and make the changes in our lives that are necessary. So for example, if you're crossing the street and a car is barreling at you, listen to that fear and get out of the way, right? You go to pet a dog and it starts growling as your hand gets closer. Pay attention to that fear and pull that hand back. Fear is good to get us out of threatening situations. But a lot of fears are also very different. They're not triggered by those immediate threats, but instead are embedded into our character and our personality, through setbacks in our lives where we didn't really bounce back well. And that's right, setbacks can damage us, and the results can be crippling in our lives if we don't navigate the bouncing back well. And God has something to say about this. He made us, and he knows us. He knows how we're wired, and he wants for us to untangle that mess. We're just off Christmas, and many of you pulled out that box of decorations, and you came upon those dreaded strings of lights, right? I hate Christmas. I love what they look like, but I hate them. And if you didn't the year before take time to properly roll them and package them, you probably pulled out a ball of tangled mess. And that tangled mess delayed what you wanted to do in decorating. You had to sit there for a while and untangle them. Well, that happens in our lives as well. Sometimes we have to do the hard work to untangle the mess of past mistakes or past beatdowns or past setbacks. And God, again, has something to, to say and do in our lives to bring us to emotional and spiritual health and growth so that we can move forward. Sometimes the work requires some therapy. Sometimes the work requires uh, pastoral counseling. Oftentimes, 
It requires the interactions of godly people in our lives to encourage us and walk with us. But it always, always requires learning to apply God's truths from the Bible as led by his Holy Spirit. And it takes time, dedicated effort, and, again, time. And so today we're going to look at Gideon, and he's hardly the only one in the Bible who has been an example of fear in their lives. But nonetheless, he's often looked at as kind of the poster boy of fear. And his story is found early in our Bibles in a book that is called Judges. And it's a book detailing the corruption and the downward spiral of Israel's leaders um, who were called judges and the continuing disobedience of the people. And Israel abandons God and they take to worshiping idols and false gods and they become completely corrupt in the land. And yet, during all of that, God is continually trying to get their attention and to call them back to a relationship with himself. And one such attempt by God to call Israel back was done through the life and the leadership of Gideon. But of course, it starts earlier in Gideon's life before he became a judge and a leader. So we're going to take a look at Judges chapter 6, verses 1, and it sets up the whole story. It says this, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now the Midianites, they were an occupying nation. They were terrorizing the people every day, stealing their food and their livestock, and people in fear took to hiding in caves and just really were being terrorized, living in that kind of fear. And this drove the people to finally cry out to God for rescue, to which he then sent a prophet to remind them of God's deliverance of their past and called them to stop worshiping these gods and these, these idols and these false gods. And so now is where Gideon enters the story. It says this, The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, who was the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Then the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. And here is where we see the first fear that consumed Gideon, the fear of hopelessness. Again, the, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are the miracles? Where are the story? Where is God in all that is going on? Somewhere along the way, Gideon 
and frankly the entire nation, they all forgot what God had done for them. If God is here, why is all this happening? You ever say that? You ever think that? Of course you have. We all do it sometimes in our lives. We don't want to live on the stories of the past. We want action in our lives now. We have that phrase, what have you done for me lately, right? Come on, God. I don't care what you did in the generation before me. What have you done lately, now? Our kids' ministry uses a teaching tool and a strategy to help children recognize God's action in their lives all the time, and it's called God Sightings. They're taught to regularly look through each day for the activity of God. It could be something just as a beautiful flower or a sunny day. I saw God in that. We just sang that. Even when we're not looking, God is working. And so the antidote for this fear is to become constantly aware that God is with you. And some suggestions to increase your awareness of his presence would be maybe uh, some people like to journal or capture answers to their prayers or highlight moments where they experienced breakthroughs. Find a place to serve others. Experience God working through you. What a powerful way to sense God's presence in your life as you serve other people in his strength. Develop habits to invite God into your awareness each day. Prayer, Bible reading, memorization, personal times of worship, um, mindful prayer walks, whatever it takes to, to teach yourself to recognize that God is with you all the time. Because when we see and feel the presence of God in our lives, we are filled with hope and we can face what lies ahead. Look at that last verse again. It says, the Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against just one man. When we go with God, the overwhelming odds against us are reduced to just about nothing. Remember Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Are things against us? Absolutely they are. But if God is for us, if we recognize God in our lives, their impact is minimal. Next, the fear of inadequacy. Let's look at a couple of those verses again, because I think that a lot of us would reply exactly like Gideon did. It said, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Okay, God, I am the least. I'm nothing. I'm from a sad, poor family who's not even recognized in my community from just one tribe in the entire nation. I am nobody. Why me? So many of us feel like we're not up for the tasks that are before us. We've believed the worst of ourselves. We've elevated our inabilities and generally believed what others have said about us. For example, you may have heard things 
that just triggered your life, like maybe you're an immigrant or a minority or lack education or come from poverty or have disabilities and have been told that you have no voice, no purpose. How horrible to face that every day in your life. Perhaps you have that parent, that sibling, that spouse who constantly puts you down and tells you that you are worthless and will amount to nothing. How horrible to face that. What does that build into us? Maybe you have that boss who keeps you down and makes you feel like you have no value or significant contribution. See, these are things that external voices that get trapped in our heads and our hearts, and they can cripple our ability to frankly sometimes even live, let alone take risks and try new things. And the antidote to this fear is to find your value and significance in who God says you are. How did the Lord see Gideon? Mighty hero, having strength, sent by God. His place in the tribe had nothing to do with nothing, right? Mighty hero, mighty hero, mighty hero. I know it's difficult to untangle the self-perceptions that we develop over the years. As I've already said, it takes time and it takes work. But do what many others have done. um, Memorize verses that remind you who God says you are in Christ. In Christ, we are heirs, called, empowered, sent, filled, loved, chosen, ambassadors, and so much more. And there are hundreds of verses that you could find and memorize so that when you have an identity crisis, and you will, when you have that identity crisis, you can remind yourself who God says you are, who you really are. So now let's take a slight aside here because the fact may be that we are inadequate in some measure. Now, I don't mean ever as a person. Of course you're not. But perhaps in your skills, in some of your experiences. And we need to, at times in our lives, level up our skills, get some learning and education, and put in the work that's required to fulfill where God is leading us and sending us. And that leads us then to the next fear, the fear of change. Any of you already know that you fear that one? A lot of us don't like change. And so Gideon replies to the angel with lots of deflections. And that's pretty common because we don't want to address the issue at hand. So we deflect and we try to change the subject. The problem is, is that can become a pattern which keeps us trapped. Trapped in our brokenness and and dysfunction or even worse, in self-destructive addictions and behaviors. And so the story goes on. Gideon replied, if you're truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. And further in the story, as God has given him yet more instructions, Gideon said to God, if you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove to me in this way. And Gideon asks God to prove that he's really asking him to go out and lead Israel by giving him a sign. God, I want you to do what I'm asking to prove that you're really God and that you're really, 
what? <laughs> you know, he's got some nerve, this guy. And even though God doesn't need to, God does. Prove it to him. And Gideon has even more nerve to ask him to do it again the opposite way, just to make sure. Now, I don't suggest that you go out and ask God to prove anything to you. He doesn't need to. But I am so glad that God didn't decide to ignore Gideon's request. And in fact, he did what Gideon asked. And, um, and it brings a lot of comfort to me. It brings a lot of comfort to me because there are times when I doubt and I'm glad that God is not just blowing me off the planet, right? He is patient with us, totally patient with us. And Gideon is resisting having to go out and be different and make changes in his life and in his country. And I'm not sure that he liked being the least family member of a pretty sad family in just an ignored tribe in the country. He likely whined a bit doing his daily chores, but it was what he knew. It was comfortable. It was predictable. And it gave him a sense of place in his world. But that's not always good for us or even right or best for us. A great quote that you will hear at Mariners is, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. When he comes into our lives, he begins to grow us and shape us and take us through those journeys to dismantle and untangle the mess and the fears and all the things that keep us from becoming more like him. And so the antidote to this fear is to base my hope on the unchanging God. God is eternal, unchanging, all-powerful, ever-present, sovereign. And this all-powerful God loves you, loves me. I'm old enough to, uh, and have been involved in church long enough to remember this very old song with some very comforting lyrics. And if you know it, join me. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. I don't like the unknown any more than any of you. But I take great comfort in knowing that the future is known to God. The Christian writer Corrie Ten Boom said it best when she wrote, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. What a powerful statement. One of the reasons we don't like change is our next fear, our fear, as well as Gideon's, the fear of losing control. 
These tests that Gideon asked God to perform to prove he was really asking Gideon to take action reveals this fear in him, and it goes hand in hand with this fear of change. And again, I'm frankly surprised God just didn't blow Gideon off the planet and say, who are you, you know? He did honor Gideon's request, and uh, again, I don't suggest that any of us try to put God to that test. But I'm encouraged that God is patient with us in our doubts and our struggles with facing the future and losing control. God is patient with us. And he's moving in us to recognize that he is capable and he is mighty to empower us to accomplish what he leads us to do. It's been said where God guides, God provides. And that comes from a passage in Isaiah where it says, The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. God is providing for us and taking care of us. And he's in control and providing everything. We don't need to fear losing control. And so the antidote to this fear is be aware of what you can't control and trust the one who does. Scott Savage, a writer with Relevant Magazine, wrote this. Obedience doesn't equal control. When Jesus is our leader and we are his followers, he is sovereign over the outcome of our obedience. I know many friends who struggle with wanting to know what will happen after their obedience before they obey. And we just can't know. I can't control my future. I can't control the outcomes of my obedience or the choices that I make. But I can control my choices and my responses to God. I wish that I was a lot less like Gideon than I am, wanting for God to give me detailed results of what I can expect in the future. I want to know what's happening many, many miles down the path of the choices that are before me. But honestly, I struggle with this just as much as I suspect many of you do. However, I've learned over time that again, while I can't control anything or frankly, anything, I can control my responses and my choices. Obedience doesn't require understanding. Let me say that again. Obedience doesn't require understanding. Have your child ever said to you when you told them to do something, but why? And you say, just do it. Because they don't need to understand why. Neither do you when God instructs us. Obedience doesn't require understanding, but it does require trust. And I can choose that. Proverbs says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. And finally, that leads us then to the last fear, the fear of disapproval. 
And let's look back at Gideon for a bit. Before Gideon could go and face the enemies and drive the Midianites out of the land, he had to face his own family and community and call them back to God. And so it says, the night, That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. Pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, Laying the stones carefully, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood from the Asherah pole you cut down. So Baal is a god, a false god, that was worshipped uh, among the other nations at that time, and an Asherah pole is uh, something that was uh, erected to honor a goddess at that time as well, and so it was all part of their worship experience. And so it goes on, so good Gideon took ten of his servants, and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. I mean, just put yourself in Gideon's head. If I do it at night, nobody will know. You know, then I don't have to deal with them. I can get by stealth, undercover. That doesn't really work. Because they figured it out, you know? And when we choose to take steps in our life or stands with issues, there will be people in our lives who will not like our choices, and they will not support our decisions, and sometimes even in our own families. And this is especially true when we choose to live according to biblical principles, values, and teachings. Many of you have likely faced similar oppositions to these, like maybe others not understanding when you're unavailable because of your church attendance or your commitments to service. Or maybe thinking, well, you're a bit narrow-minded or prudish because you withhold from certain behaviors that are common and expected. These, of course, are small in comparison to other places in the world where people are actually imprisoned or executed for their faith and trust in Christ. The reality is, is we can't please everyone. And trying will emotionally destroy us. Living with the fear of disapproval is crippling. And it's challenging, of course, because we often also find value in pleasing other people. We like the significance. We like the compliments. We like that we are useful. And we find value in pleasing other people. But it's just impossible to please everyone. And that sets us up for constant failure. This exhausting cycle will destroy us. And so the antidote to this fear is to learn to live for the audience of one and only seek the approval of God. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we never please other people because as we please God and follow his principles and teachings of blessing others and honoring others and serving others, of course people are going to be pleased. A lot of people. But it's about the source of, of our desire in who we want to please first and most. My desire is to please God, and then others benefit. You see the difference? The goal of our lives is to live completely devoted to him. Full stop. That says it all. That's enough. 
I'd like to ask the worship team to make their way up here as we um, 